Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist, and I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today it's me and I'm going to be talking about the psychology of eating disorders and how eating disorders are often coping strategies, often unconscious coping strategies for dealing with difficult stresses in life. So I'm going to be exploring some of the three main underlying psychological triggers and explaining and exploring those a bit more fully. So I hope you find this helpful. One of the parts of my job that I really love is that when people come into therapy, they're often very confused about their eating disorder behaviors. They feel completely lost in the jungle. They don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. They feel that it's all about food. They cannot see the wood for the trees. And part of my job is supporting my clients in helping them to understand a bit more about why they've come to develop an eating disorder, maybe some of the triggers that might have set it off, and also help them to have insight into the perpetuating factors which are keeping it going. And I love this part of my job as it's wonderful to help people gain that insight and clarity and to gently guide and support them to explore their story and to really unpick it and to begin to piece together all the different parts of the jigsaw. And this can often be quite a complex and long process because eating disorders aren't straightforward and it's not that one thing happens and that's the cause of the eating disorder There are many, many factors that interplay and come together. And it's quite a delicate balance of genetics, of environment, of different experiences, of your personality type, all these things coming together and resulting in the outcome of an eating disorder. And two different people may go through what seems like quite identical experiences, but one might get an eating disorder one might have a different mental health problem, one might not have a mental health problem at all. So it's also unique and all really fascinating. So today I'm talking here about understanding an eating disorder a bit more as a coping strategy. And I'm going to talk about three main kind of underlying coping strategies that are often sort of hidden under the presentation of food and body image issues. I think it's really important just to say that no one sets out to use food as a coping strategy. It's usually an unconscious decision becoming a life raft to cling to often when life throws turbulence and uncertainty at your door. And I guess food is something that is so much part of life. We're in a relationship with food many, many, many times a day. So it's quite understandable that maybe when stress happens in your life, that your relationship with food can be impacted. Now, I believe, and I would say this because I'm a therapist, (laughs) that it is really helpful to view the eating disorder through this lens. 
to understand it as a psychological coping strategy. And just to really stress as well, people often will look in at eating disorders when they don't have much understanding and they might think it's about vanity, they might think it's all about appearance and how you look, but it's not at all. Eating disorders are often about survival and almost like clinging to a life raft, which is the eating disorder, when everything around you is in turmoil, perhaps feeling out of control, and it's something that offers certainty, sort of surety, and it's something that gives a lot of safety in those times of distress. So I think when we can start to view the eating disorder from that perspective, if we're looking in on a loved one, we can start to be a bit more compassionate because maybe if you're a family member and you're looking in at your loved one struggling, you may have all kinds of understandable emotions. You might feel really scared. You might feel really sad for them. You might feel really angry that they're doing harmful things to their body. When you can understand that this is a coping strategy, it helps you to take a step back. It helps you to be kinder, more tolerant and more compassionate. Now, initially, the eating disorder often offers respite and safety, whether that be through getting really distracted by thinking about food all the time, counting calories, counting steps, weighing out things, getting caught up in all the detail. But quickly, of course, that coping strategy starts to cause lots of other problems and lots of more anguish too. And once on that food preoccupation path as well, it can feel really tricky to leave and walk in a different direction. So how to understand eating disorders better? So what are some of these underlying common coping strategies? So number one, the numbing of emotions. Now, if you get really laser focused with food preoccupation or body goals, life becomes simplified. Now, I don't know if anyone listening to this if you haven't had an eating disorder, but even if you've been on a diet, you know, I know for myself when I was younger and I used to diet, it makes you really preoccupied with food. You can't think about much else. And actually, that's pretty painful from my point of view. But actually, if you're experiencing other stresses in your life, if you're experiencing some quite big and difficult emotions, actually focusing in on food feels really safe. And it gives you something to focus on. It distracts you from maybe those bigger problems in the background that feel too unmanageable to deal with. So when you're so preoccupied with food, relationship problems, work stresses, life dramas, they blend into the background and feel distant. And you almost become in this kind of protective bubble, which is on the one hand stifling and restrictive, but it's also safe and really known. So of course, emotions may heighten around food. You might be really worried about what you're going to eat or not eat or social eating or all these other things, but you care much less probably about the problems that bothered you before. So they're often on hold and this can kind of bring a sense of relief. And this is all quite unconscious. You know, I think no one's kind of waking up and thinking, right, I'm going to get laser focused on food so I don't have to think about maybe the loss of a loved one, maybe that something's happened in my family, maybe that I'm experiencing stresses at school. So it can be in response to many, many different types of events. You know, it can be something that is more obviously kind of big, like maybe a bereavement, say of a grandmother or grandfather, you know, someone had been really important in your life. 
it could be like relentless bullying at school and um, it also can be kind of little drip drip things that maybe you don't acknowledge that as something that's been a stress but actually when you start looking back on it you can realize that actually in some shape or form maybe your emotional needs weren't getting met maybe you were really struggling in some way and you felt you couldn't talk to anyone so of course with the numbing of emotions the numbing does shield and offer some emotional respite but you are effectively cutting yourself off from your feelings as you could with alcohol, drugs, gambling, working too much or other coping strategies. And I guess the problem with this is the feelings don't go away, but they accumulate under the carpet. And often they'll occasionally flood out in a tidal wave of emotion that feels unbearable. And this then reinforces maybe your belief that emotions are intolerable and best avoided. So I guess it's just the message here as well is although it can feel in the short term probably like a really effective helpful strategy to focus on food rather than to focus on the bigger feelings actually it doesn't do you any favors over time because I guess those feelings that are put away in the box are going to have to come out at some point so the longer you are sort of almost frozen with your feelings and eating disorder it's kind of putting some of that painful stuff on hold and then it often creates other problems by having the eating disorder. So you can get yourself in a really difficult place. And I think the sad thing is, is when you numb your emotions as well, you numb the good bits too. So you don't feel the joy, the happiness, the excitement and the contentment in the same way. You feel often numb and separate from life. And clients will often talk to me about looking back on a time when they were really suffering with their eating disorder and realize that they can't really remember much about that time at all. And it's almost because they were really detached and they were almost in that bubble and they weren't really engaging with life in a sort of full and flourishing way. So if you're listening to this, have a think about, you know, if you have an eating disorder, are there perhaps difficult emotions that you're trying to avoid? And if you are looking after a loved one or you have a close person in your life that has an eating disorder try and look in at the eating disorder from a psychological perspective and have compassion for that person realize that actually there are probably some quite tricky feelings going on under the surface so it's trying as well not to focus too much just on the food but thinking actually what's beneath because actually if someone can start to talk about those feelings in a safe space that is a really important part of the healing process. But I guess as well, someone has to feel ready to do that. We can't push someone to do that. Someone's got to feel motivated. Okay, the next underlying coping strategy is often boosting self-worth. Now, in a culture that values thinness and wellness, with Instagram photos of perfectly toned bodies, equaling validation and success through light, it's not surprising that controlling food can seem like it's the passport to boosting self-worth. And the message from diet culture is pervasive and influential. Lose weight and you'll feel better. And when self-esteem is on the floor, a glimmering sense of achievement is welcomed through the good work, in inverted commas, 
counting calories or macros or seeing the number on the scales decrease. And I can think of some of my clients who maybe have been bullied in the past and then they've lost weight and they've dieted. They suddenly get compliments. They feel accepted. They feel a sense of achievement and it reinforces this toxic cycle that changing your body increases worth. Of course, it's not a sustainable solution or a provider of results. As anyone listening to this will know that if you have a goal weight, often the goalposts move and shift towards lower numbers with the outcome never being good enough. So actually, although you think that as you lose weight, you're going to feel better, often as you lose weight, you become more self-critical of your body, you focus more on your body, and actually you become more and more judgmental and critical, and it's impossible almost to feel satisfied. So this seductive, slippery slope pulls you downwards further, chasing the hope of worth that, you know, if I just lose a bit more, then I'll stop, then I'll feel better. And it slides increasingly out of reach to a point sometimes where you can almost hit crisis. And I think as well, you know, when you're dieting in that extreme way, you often feel desperately alone and empty and any lingering self-esteem you had tends to drain away. And I guess as well, you know, you might be listening to this and thinking, you know, the early part of that journey may have felt very seductive and though it was all working out, but so quickly we can fall into other disordered eating behaviors like binging and purging and over-exercising. And then all of those behaviors, they become so destructive for self-worth and, you know, they almost just kind of reinforce this negative cycle. So I think it's incredibly hard when you base so much of your self-worth on your appearance, on your weight, on how you look. Because I guess even if you are a Hollywood actress, model, listening to this, and you, you know, from outside, other people give you lots of compliments, you have what is deemed by society as a perfect body, then you are still going to be worried about someone younger coming along, someone prettier, someone thinner, the kind of new person on the block. It's a very precarious position to be in when you are feeling that so much of your worth is based on how you look. Very, very difficult to feel that you can sustain it. It's really, really, really hard to win it, win at this. So you're listening to this and you're relating. Take a step back. And really start to think about your values and what is really important to you. You don't have to completely throw the baby out with the bathwater. You might still want to value your appearance and how you look as part of your pie chart of self-worth. You know, that might still have a significant segment, but you don't want it to be like 90% of how you value yourself. You want to be getting your value from your friendships, your hobbies, your interests, your job, your studies whole range of things because of putting all that emphasis on your appearance or your weight it's just almost impossible to win and you are chasing a goal that you are not going to be able to achieve and it's likely to destroy your worth bit by bit more by more more by more does that make sense (laughs) sorry about that everyone I'm recording this at the end of a long day and I've forgotten how to speak temporarily Okay, the final bit 
the final underlying coping strategy is about control. So when life throws you a curveball and uncertainty looms its ugly head with full force, you can understandably be drawn to controlling something that is truly yours to control. A relationship with food in your body is deeply personal and private. No one can make you eat or know exactly the nuances and secret rituals you may have around food. Planning and meticulously preparing, scanning menus, reading food labels, writing down the calories in your notebook with goals and dates, deciding special foods to devour away from everyone. These provide the fabric and structure of your day. And this is a private and secluded world where others cannot influence or dictate. It is your safety and predictable space which cannot be invaded. You feel in control, at least to begin with. And I think it's a bit of a cliche with eating disorders that it's all about control. Because I think it's not all about control. But I think there's certainly an element to eating disorders and control because of Food is one of the few things that we can control that is completely almost within our realm of making our own decisions. So many other things in life, we are interacting with others, there's a lot of uncertainty. And actually, when life feels overwhelming and that level of control just feels too, level of out of control feels too much, then we can really gravitate towards wanting to control our food or control our bodies. But of course, what starts out with order and control can quickly spiral into a monster that devours you. As control tightens, the healthy part of you screams for freedom and will rebel against the repression of self-imposed control. Again, you are left with the bottom line of not feeling enough. And the level of control you desire is almost impossible to achieve. You might romanticize the days when you have managed to follow the rules and push expectations high to do this again. But it's an impossible task as the rules have taken on a new force and rigidity. And you're left feeling a failure and increasingly out of control. So I think it's a tricky one with the control because it really can give you that reduction of feeling more in control. And it's a reality, I guess, that food is one of the few things that we can really control and can be our own very much private world. However, it quickly can spiral out of control. We can quickly slip into disordered eating behaviors. And then we feel so out of control. It feels so messy and complicated. And then we're not only out of control in life with our emotions, with everything that's happening, we feel out of control with the eating disorder. And then this just really reinforces feelings of failure, of not being good enough. And it's just such a horrible cycle to be in. So I hope this has helped give you a little bit of insight. So, of course, there is more to eating disorders than some of the things I've just talked about here with numbing, with worth, with control. There are other factors that are at play, but this just gives you a little insight And it's so helpful to understand an eating disorder as a coping strategy because it does bring greater insight, greater understanding and allows us to have much more compassion for people that are suffering. And if you're listening to this and you're suffering yourself, it can also allow you to have more compassion for yourself. 
And although these coping methods help you survive in a time where other ways of coping didn't feel feasible, of course, we can see that actually an eating disorder cannot fulfill or meet your needs sustainably. And the longer that we try and cope in these unhelpful ways, the more likely these behaviours become habits and then harder to shift. So for anyone listening as well, I want to really give you hope to realise that there are healthier ways to cope with life. And these can be learned. These can be over time with support. You can do different behaviours. You can learn new habits. You can learn to process your feelings differently. You can learn to think in different ways. And you can completely change your relationship with food and have a much more peaceful relationship with your body. So if you're listening and you relate to this, just hold on to hope. It's often really helpful with an eating disorder to get some kind of therapy or support because it can be really challenging to overcome some of these things on your own. Because an eating disorder is an unconscious coping strategy. And I guess if it was straightforward, you probably wouldn't be listening to this in the first place. You would be have sort of nailed it. You just would have kind of followed like a little plan and off you would have gone into the sunset. But when we're working with our psyche, when we're working with emotions, we can't kind of deal with it in the same way that we would if we were like revising for a maths exam or, or kind of looking at directions to go to a place. We need to kind of go through the different layers, like peeling back those layers of the onion to really understand. And sometimes you need to be able to do that with somebody who has either walked the path themselves or who has the training to really understand things from a psychological perspective and to be able to pace this work at a rate that is manageable for you and not too overwhelming. So I hope that gives you some insights. If anything has really stood out for you, do get in touch with me. I would love to hear your insights and comments. Thank you so much for listening. So I hope you found this episode helpful. And if there was something that particularly resonated with you, do send me a message on Instagram in the DMs. I would love to hear about your personal insights. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps the podcast reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.